trust that you're doing well this evening. Uh, hopefully, you're on the other side of finals by now. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word there in front of you, I invite you to go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53 this evening. Um, while you're making your way there, just a couple of announcements uh, regarding kind of our pacing, our sequence, and then one quick prayer request from you or from me to you. Um, we will, uh, obviously, Jess and I and Harper will be gone over the next couple weeks for the holidays. And so on Sunday mornings, we'll be taking a break from our study in the attributes of God for two different speakers. Tyler Jackson is going to be speaking this coming uh, Sunday morning, and then Russ Davison will be in on the 29th. And um, I've given them free reign, so um, you, those of you who want to play Heresy Police can do that. I'm just kidding when I say that. But um, just want to let you know they will be uh, speaking. I'm excited for you to be able to hear from them for different things that the Lord has laid on their heart. Then, obviously, after the 8th, we'll kick off a new semester together. Um, we're going to kind of look towards the new year on the 15th. And then the 22nd, we'll kick off our spring semester. We'll kind of have our kickoff party that we try and do there on the 22nd. And we'll be spending uh, spring and uh, the next couple semesters taking breaks along the way, going through the book of Romans. Uh, so we'll be uh, tackling those uh, 16 chapters in the book of Romans over the next couple semesters. But we'll take breaks along the way. That way we don't get exhausted uh, trying to mine all the riches that is uh, the Pauline uh, mega book, if you will. And then just one quick prayer request that I would ask of you if you think about it. Um, we will be traveling, obviously, but then on Friday, this Friday um, at 8.30 in the morning, we'll be finalizing our adoption um, in St. Louis County. So if you would, if you're, I, I'm, so all my adult leaders will probably be up by then, so I'll trust them to pray. And then if you think about it, um, just pray for us at some point uh, Thursday night. Uh, maybe some of you will be up into Friday morning, but um, if you're up at work and you think of us, if you would pray for us, we're excited to close out that particular season of our lives. So all of that said, let's jump into Isaiah 53. If you would stand, we'll pay honor to the reading of God's word this evening. Isaiah 53, we'll begin in verse 1. We'll read the first 12 verses together this evening. This is God's word to us. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5 together. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is God's word to us. With it ringing in our ears, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight. Looking forward to Christmas, looking forward to the celebration of the birth of your son. And Father, it's easy for us to forget in these next few days why it's necessary for him to come at all. And as distractions plague our mind, whether they be fears of time spent with family, um, conversations that need to be had, uh, nervousness to share the gospel with those who don't know you, or Father, just fears about what's coming in the, the new year and, and new semester and, and, and new challenges that lie in front of us. I pray that for the few moments that we are gathered here this evening, we can look at your word and be reminded of who you are and why your son uh, was needed on Christmas. So, Father, we pray in the next few moments that you would help us to turn our hearts and our minds to your word. But, Father, we know we're not the only people tonight who will be hearing your word. We, we're very much aware of the fact that there are other churches in our city who will be proclaiming your name. And so we think of our friends at Boulevard Baptist. We ask that you would watch over them tonight as they proclaim your word. We ask that you would strengthen them, that that congregation would be able to continue to reach people for the sake of the, of the gospel and the, and the proclamation of Christ. Also think of our, our friends at Parkcrest. Think of the college ministry there. Think about all of our, our mutual respect and admiration for their ministry. And we ask that you would increase their gospel witness. And then, Father, we pray now that you would, again, help us as we consider your word together. May it not just be something we hear in these next few moments, but something that we apply throughout the next week and, and, and month and, and even year, Father. It's in your son's name we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I, I'm guilty of being a person who loves to look at things from different angles. Um, it, it comes in handy, especially um, teaching at a Bible college and, and, and getting to do one of my favorite things to do, which is to play devil's advocate for things that I don't necessarily agree with or just flat out disagree with. Um, but like any good, uh, what I believe a good researcher is, well enough to know the opposite position, well enough to argue it as if you knew it and believed it to be your own. And so a lot of times I can press and uh, push and then hopefully help people to learn important thoughts on a given subject. And the reason why 
I feel like I can do that is because I had faculty members when I was in school that did this to me relentlessly. In fact, the, the person who did all of our premarital counseling eventually officiated uh, Jess and our wedding. We spent a lot of time together, and I would drive with him uh, different places uh, to help him with different things. He's the dean of our seminary, and he would just pepper me while we were in the car, and a lot of robust dialogue took place there. Uh, it, other people might call it intense fellowship. When I came on staff here, um, my new sparring partner became Jared Bumpers before he decided to leave like a loser. Um, and I still contain that to this day. In fact, I'll see him at the end of next month and remind him of that. It got to a point that uh, his administrative assistant and mine, Deanna Crawford at the time, would ask if she needed to close the door because she thought we were arguing with each other. And Jared would remind her that we were just talking about stuff that we believed. And so you get to these uh, specific things and you say, well, what is the point of this introduction? Well, the point of this is I think a lot of us go through the routine around this time of year. And we don't really stop, pause, reflect, ponder, think about why Christmas is even necessary. We, we, we just kind of go through the motions. I was at a bookstore today. No shock at all to you that I was there. Um, and, and I just, the, in, the inaneness that is Christmas music, I'm just already ready. If I hear uh, an, another crooner sing about hanging up a sock over a man, I'm just like, that is not even what we're doing here. But we get accustomed to going through the motions of this to the, to the point that it just becomes another year, another holiday, another Christmas and yeah, some things may change. You may have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, you may not. You, you may be engaged. You may not. You, you may be uh, newly married. And you may not be newly married. You may be oldly married. And it's just another Christmas and another thing of doing the same traditions, the same things over and over and over again. So what I want to do is take us to Isaiah 53 tonight and, and look at the the one who lays in a manger as this servant who is coming. And that's why I entitled the, the message this evening, A Servant is Coming. And it could say, a servant has come, but we're looking at this from the lens of Isaiah 53. So Isaiah is pointing us to the fact that a servant is coming. He's pointing his people, the covenant people of Israel, to the fact that a servant is coming. And he wants to give a description to us of what this servant is coming. In fact, that's where we're going to start tonight. We're going to just kind of walk through four things quickly this evening that, that kind of lay out for us who Christ is at, not just at Christmas, but his entire conception of him coming, this entire, why is he necessary? Why must he come? Why, why even celebrate Christmas? What should we be thinking about as we think about Christmas. So we, we start with a description. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then Isaiah launches into this description of, of the one who is coming. We could say Isaiah launches into a description of the Messiah. He has no concept in his mind at this point that it is Jesus Christ, but he is looking forward to a coming servant specifically and he gives us this description for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he is despised and rejected by man 
or men, a man of sorrows with, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. The first thing Isaiah tells us about this particular coming servant, this Messiah, who we know now as Christ, is this idea that he is a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. There's nothing normal about the way that this particular Messiah is going to come to his people. Think about this. He's going to be born of a virgin who is not yet married. Forget 16 and pregnant. This is way more scandalous. This would not be put on network television. No one would want the rights for this story because they would want to ostracize her from the community. We tend to think of the idea that sex sells. And in the first century, sex doesn't sell. It gets you ostracized from community. It gets to the point where Joseph can put her away. And Joseph had made up his mind. I'm, I'm not going to do this publicly, but I am going to do it privately. We can't have this kind of scandal in the family. And it's not until an angel of the Lord shows up to uh, Joseph that he begins to change his mind. This is scandalous. It's not the norm. And remember where he's born, too. He's not born in Jerusalem where the, the coming king would be born, who we would think would rise through the natural line of uh, of ascension to the to the throne you think of that great davidic lineage that we've we've talked about already as a church family this is not the way a king arrives on the scene there's pomp and circumstance we sing all hail the king or if you're from great britain all hail the queen we there's got to be a royal procession you think of every time a royal baby is born, America loses its mind. It's everywhere. And just the expectations that are put on the royal family. I mean, you think about giving birth to a baby and then having to stand in front of the entire country, like not even 48 hours later. Talk about pressure. Like, there's a lot of pressure. This baby's born in a manger. No earthly processional. There is no earthly announcement in the sense of it's not on the front page of the Bethlehem Courier in the Jerusalem Times. King of the Jews is born. N none of it. In fact, to to show how unordinary this is, a heavenly host appears to the smallest and least of the people, shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. Think of that great scene where. Linus drops his blanket in Charlie Brown Christmas and steps to recite Luke 2. And, and all that is entailed there of, of that story of, of who is told. Where does the processional go from heaven? It doesn't go to Herod. It doesn't go to leaders of the state. It goes to a bunch of shepherds. Nobody. But Isaiah wants to double down on this picture for us. He says, he has no former comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is unordinary. He's unordinary. There's nothing spectacular about him. This man, this God man, the man who 
has the fullness of the Godhead in him. He is truly God. Isaiah says, if you didn't know it, you wouldn't see it. And you're not going to see it. This no blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white Jesus who shows up on the scene in Jerusalem. We all kind of chuckle like, that's kind of funny that he said that. Because that's like what we see depicted. No, this would have been a regular, average-looking, Middle Eastern man, baby. Kind of like, hey, we've seen babies before and we'll see babies again. We've seen kids before, we'll see kids again. We'll see, we've seen men again, we'll see. There's nothing about him that is incredibly spectacular. Furthermore, we learn that he's despised and rejected by men. Remember that Jesus himself says, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. This dude skips over his hometown because they're so unimpressed by it. Isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? Like, why is he being all weird and healing people? Dude, know your place. You're a carpenter's apprentice. There's nothing spectacular about him because Romans 1 reminds us we'll do everything possible to repress the truth about God. And as we see him, as a first century guy, we're like, hmm, I'm sure he'll make a good carpenter's apprentice. Think about that. Think about that from a human perspective. Think about that from a first century perspective. Who's that guy walking around with those 12 disciples and that big entourage? Why? I thought he was just going to. That's c- the kind of anticipation that Jesus brought to these people. Isaiah notes this for us. He's projecting this for us. He's saying this will happen. And then we read in the New Testament as it happens. So first we see the description of who this suffering servant will be. And then we read that he must make a payment. Look at verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here Isaiah tells us that this suffering servant, this servant who's going to come, who is the natural heir to the throne of David, who is going to reign and rule forever, must pay a great price for the sins of humanity. We're often aware of Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We would do well on Christmas to read Luke 2 together and then come here. We, we think of that beautiful narrative in, in Luke 2 and all the excitement and all the joy that is coming out of this particular scene. But we would do well to flip immediately to Isaiah 53 and be reminded this baby born to a virgin is going to walk 
to Calvary's hill to bear a payment that we cannot pay. It's only through Christ's death on the cross that we can experience a release from the payment that we owe. It says in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We would do well to read 53.5, then 53.6, to be reminded that this baby born in a manger is going to bear the iniquity, the sinfulness of all of us. I was reading and, and researching for this particular sermon and came across this great quote from an old dead guy named Octavius Winslow, which is just a sick name when you think about it. He said this, So completely was Jesus bent on saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself. He created the tree upon which he was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to the accursed tree. He lays in a manger. Oh, well, you know, we've seen that and we're like, And in that moment, what happens, I, I think this is what sometimes, again, the truthfulness is there, but we become inoculated to its importance by being distracted by everything around us. And I think, honestly, one of the great tricks that the evil one uses to pull us off mission is to distract us from the truthfulness of truth say oh become mesmerized mm-hmm. where did you know you know all of these songs and we got to get christmas presents for these people and these people and if this person buys me a gift i need to have a thank you gift and they are going to probably send me a thank you thing and then i need to send them a thank you thank you thing and and it goes back and forth like a thank you tennis match we got to bake cookies and pies and have these big parties and do these things Everything becomes all about, the, and we're all just burnt out. We get to New Year's, and those of us who are teetotalers wonder why it is that we don't drink. Because this certainly has been stressful. And I think it's because we're, we're honestly distracted from the reality and the truthfulness of truth. This idea, this very idea. That he who lays in a manger will one day lay arms stretched, waiting to be crucified. But this little baby is not just here for everyone to come by and the, the shepherds come, oh, what a cute baby. And, and, and the wise guys come in and they're like, oh, what a cute baby. Here's some frankincense, golden myrrh, because that's what every baby needs. Just, that's what every newborn mom Mom of a newborn is like, I just wish that I had more myrrh uh, to deal with our baby. Like, we we forget that not only is there a description of this one who will be to many inconsequential, but that there's a payment required, and the consequences of this payment are what follows. Look at verses 7 through 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The consequences of coming on this mission, of being and relinquishing. Remember, Philippians 2 did not think himself anything to be lost, but he equated himself. He takes on the form of a servant, is made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to the cross. It has consequences. Verse 7, he's oppressed. We read in the Gospels. He's oppressed, he's beaten. They ask him questions. They mock him. What does he do? He opens not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah is predicting, here comes the one who is going to save us. And the consequences of coming on this mission is he's going to remain silent, even though he can call down fire from heaven. We think of Elisha and Elijah. We think of Elisha as this powerful prophet. Elijah asks that his portion be double. And, and we know the different battles that those two prophets will fight in the Old Testament. And Jesus, as fully and truly God, makes all the Old Testament prophets and priests look like they were nothing. You read through the Old Testament, they're pretty impressive. I mean, you've got to be pretty impressive to basically say, hey, I'm pretty sure your God is in the bathroom relieving himself. By the way, we're going to dump water all over this wood, and I'm going to call fire down from heaven, literally. We, we use that as an expression because it carries so much weight. It's become a modern parlance. It's, it, people are like, oh, man, that guy can call down fire from heaven. They don't even know Jesus, but they're like, that guy can call. Do, do you not even know what you're talking about? And here we're told by Isaiah that the one who can literally and literally was there at the beginning of the foundations of the earth who spoke the world into existence is going to be silent when they accuse him, when they beat him. He goes willingly. He's willingly lays down his life. It says he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Isaiah says, our sins are what caused him to be stricken. Make no mistake, nation of Israel, who has a tendency to think that they're far greater than they are which ironically is something that Christians still struggle with, thinking that they're far better than what they really are. Isaiah makes it clear, transgressions are sinfulness. He was stricken. stricken. They made his grave with the wicked. He lays in a borrowed tomb. We, we know Joseph of Arimathea is going to let Jesus use his tomb. And the reason why this is all allowed is because at the end of the day, Pilate knows this. Like, I'm not going to put this dude to death. Like, I'm not going to do it. I'm washing my hands. Like, if you want to kill him, it, a Pilate's washing of his hands is supposedly for himself saying, I, I'm innocent of this. You all do what you want to do. That doesn't make you innocent, but this is what Pilate is doing because he understands. He's not said anything wrong, and he hasn't done any violence. So here he lays in a borrowed tomb. 
But then we see the most important part of this entire passage at the end, the closing of our text for this evening. It's the exaltation of Christ. Isaiah writes to us, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. It's through his death that he justifies many. It's through his willingness to die and to raise again that many will be made righteous. Because my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah closes this chapter by reminding them that this great Messiah, the one who is going to come and redeem all of the covenant people of Israel, and what Isaiah doesn't understand, maybe in totality, is not just the nation of Israel is going to be able to be redeemed, but Gentiles as well as Jews will have the gospel offered to them. Christ will be exalted because he's making intercession for transgressors. If you're alive and breathing, you are a transgressor. And unless you have someone who intercedes on your behalf, arguing on their own merit, not your merit, we're reminded, Edward said, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. We don't save ourselves. Christ saves us. Yes, we place our faith and trust in him. We make a decision to trust in Christ, but ultimately it's Christ's righteousness that makes it even possible for us to put our faith and trust in him. And he's going to be exalted, as he should. So we should celebrate. But we need to make sure that our celebration is celebrating the right way and not some westernized version of this. So I'm not saying chuck all the gifts, take everything back, give money to whatever. Don't do that. I'm not suggesting that those are bad things to do. In fact, embrace your family traditions as long as they're not sinful. But maybe instead of just moving along like it's a crazy day, you carve out time and you tell people, hey, I think maybe, okay, now we're done. Like everybody's had whatever they need. Let's just at least for a moment on this day where we're in utter chaos, take some time and think about this very fact. The only reason why we celebrate anything on Christmas, the only reason why this holiday is even celebrated is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, we know he wasn't born in December, but a Christian calendar decided these dates were the appropriate days to celebrate. And so we're going to celebrate. But we're not just going to celebrate today. We're going to celebrate every day. Because the opportunity to be made right with God exists because this baby comes born of a virgin. This baby comes and grows up and is the very son of God. It gives us the confidence for how we should live and interact with the world around us, pointing them 
to why Christ's pleasures are ultimately better than every pleasure that the world has to offer. This is Carl Henry's great vision for the church. And so what, where does your confidence come from? When you celebrate, when you, and you think about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, where does your confidence come from? Do you even have a relationship? Not just, you know, not just a, a play it, fake it till you make it. We show up on Christmas. We, we, we talk about Jesus for a moment. We, we show up at church. We, we talk about Jesus. But do you have a genuine relationship with the one that you're celebrating? Because he gives an immediate confidence to us that he is far greater. I'll close with this illustration because it's probably my favorite Christmas illustration of all time. Um, and I've used it before, so if you've heard it, get over it. You probably need to hear it again. Um, many of you know that in addition to loving uh, all things books and theology and church history and all those things, that I'm very much a, a huge Charlie Brown fan. Um, I love to watch Charlie Brown Christmas for one specific scene because the more I read about Charles Schultz and the more that I understood what's going on, this scene is just is amazing. And I referenced it earlier. It's a great scene where Linus steps up in the middle of all the chaos that is Christmas and quotes the Christmas story from memory, right? One of the things that was a deal breaker for Schultz and almost caused Charlie Brown Christmas to never air Think about never watching one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time ever again. Is ABC came and said, we're not doing the Bible scene. <laughs> Schultz said, well, then you're not doing a Charlie Brown Christmas. And what happens in that scene that often is missed because, again, attention to details in American Western culture is pretty much not going to happen, especially now. But as Linus steps up to quote the Christmas story, the one thing that Linus is known for throughout all of Charlie Brown, every comic from his inception till when Schultz is done writing the Charlie Brown comics, is Linus has no blanket. Linus has no security blanket. And Schultz later tells that the reason behind doing this was to show that because of who Christ was, Linus needs no security blanket because Christ is his ultimate security. We don't even pay attention. We don't see those details. I think one, because it is minuscule, and if you're not paying attention and seeing it a hundred times, who cares? But what's being communicated to us and to a watching world is that the one thing that we always think we need, and you can fill it in with whatever your blanket is, when you recognize that you have a relationship with Christ, that need for any other security You have friends and family that you'll celebrate Christmas with. Who you will literally watch as they wrestle for something to secure them. And you have an opportunity to say, no, 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 no. Understand this. A little baby laying in a manger is more than just a baby. The, the, the one that Isaiah talks about being born 
is going to accomplish more than you probably even would imagine a little baby being born and being placed in a manger because there's no room in the inn for him. This king is not like our other kings. He's a greater king. And this greater king is going to reign and rule. And when he comes back the second time, he's not coming back like he came the first time. He's going to come back with his winnowing fork and his axe laid bare at the root. That's what John says. I thought that was an interesting way to introduce Jesus. Understand who this guy is and when he comes back, what he's going to do. So as we get ready to celebrate and think about, oh, what next week has to offer for us, let's remember that the one who is coming isn't coming the way we would come as kings or queens, but he's coming as a servant. And the more you desire to be like Christ, the more you will find yourself serving him. Let's pray.